want to welcome you all to the assembly this morning. Uh, we're so grateful to see so many of you again who have been here all week and, and some of you who are getting to join us for the first time. And we're, we're glad you get to be with us and built us up. It was a very lively song service this morning. I hope that you enjoyed that and were edified by that. I appreciate the prayer on my behalf this morning. I, I do hope as we, we go through our study together today that it will be motivating to you in some way. As it has been motivating to me, uh, so often as we, uh, any of us who present a study or, or prepare a sermon, we're, we're looking for answers for ourselves. We're looking for solutions for ourselves and our own struggles. And this morning is, is uh, that is very true. Uh, that is a very true thing for me. It is, is something that has been helpful to me and motivating to me in ways. We've been talking about commitment this week. We, we started talking about committing to the Word of God and making sure that we're investing heavily in what He says and not what we think and not what others say and making sure that we are living a life that He wants us to. We talked last night about committing to morality and conforming to Christ instead of uh, conforming to the world and, and how we can be a light to the world and they need us to make sure that we're in Christ's image and not theirs. Uh, for their salvation. This morning I want to talk about being committed to being bold. And that might seem like a strange thing at times uh, uh, for someone to say we need to be committed to boldness because many of us may not feel like we ourselves are bold people. In fact, I bet if I went around the room and if I took a poll and I said, would you describe yourself in, in two words that there wouldn't be many people, maybe there'd be some of you, uh, there wouldn't be many though who would say, well, you know, I'm, I'm confident and, and I'm bold. And, uh, and, and part of that is because we just don't feel confident all the time. We don't feel capable sometimes, um, much less feeling bold, especially when it comes to speaking out. You know, a lot of times as the world defines boldness or defines confidence, they'll define it as someone who is self-confident, someone who, who is very confident in their own abilities and because they're confident in their own abilities, that they're willing to be bold, so cause and effect in that situation. And I'll tell you, for us as Christians, you may not feel that it is in your nature, that it is your character to be someone who is bold or confident in that sense, um, but I would say that as Christians, that's the type of people we're called to be. Maybe not in the way that the world might think, but I want to begin with a scripture, not just a feeling or, or a thought. I want to begin with a scripture. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, he said, The wicked flee. Excuse me. When no man pursueth, pursueth the righteous are bold as lions. I, I got to thinking about that passage and I thought, I don't really understand. Is he making out that everybody who is not a Christian is a coward? And, and I don't think that's necessarily what this is saying. But he is talking to, to the extent in which we will be courageous or confident or, or bold or any of those things. Uh, that we all have a limit. I know a lot of people inside of the world who are not necessarily godly people, religious people, but they're very courageous. People who put on uniforms, you know, and a badge, and they go and they protect people. They're not necessarily religious. I know people who will run into burning buildings and, and save lives because they have a lot of courage. But what this passage is talking about is not that everybody who is not godly is, is cowardly. He's saying there's a limit. That if we're talking about my confidence in myself, that there's a limit. For me, it might be that I, I, feel, I feel the limitations of my intellect. For you, it might be that. For you, it might be, you might say, well, I, I, I'm very smart, but I'm not as strong. And so we know these areas where we're weaker or we're stronger, and we have confidence in the areas where we know we're stronger, and there's some areas where we shrink back. And he said, for Christians, though, he said, we're bold. He said, we're courageous. Because... 
It's not about me and my abilities. As we talk about self-confidence or being bold because we're self-confident, I think that we're always going to fail. You know, God, he does not preach self-confidence. The world preaches self-confidence. They start preaching it to our kids from a young age. You, they need to be self-confident. They need to have self-esteem. They need to have you know, this, this self-pride and things like that. And you'll never find God teaching about us having self-pride or self-confidence and being bold because of who we are. You know, what he talks about is having a boldness or a confidence more so because of who God is. I want to use Moses as an illustration of that. You remember the story of the Exodus and how God's people have been enslaved for years at this point to the powerhouse that Egypt was at that time, the powerful army that they were. Moses has fled. He's been, he's been living in another land. He's started a new family. He's got a nice life going. He's got a wife. He's got kids. He's got sheep. And who doesn't want sheep? He's doing good. You know, he is living a good life. And, and then all of a sudden, as he's walking through the desert one day and, and, and upon the hillside, he sees this bush that is is burning but but it's not being consumed and, and in intrigue he he walks towards that because who wouldn't and he goes up to that bush and the bush starts speaking to him first it tells him to take his shoes off the ground's holy ground and then the bush gives gives him a commandment and out of the bush comes this commandment come therefore and I'll send you to Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is God speaking to Moses. And he said, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. I mean, their taskmasters are hard on them. It is a brutal enslavement that they're in. And it's time for them to come out. It's time for them to be the nation that I promised they would be uh, whenever I promised Abraham. And you're the man for the job. And Moses went, all right. You got it. No, that's not what he did. You know why he didn't? You know why Moses didn't? Because he looked at that job and he said, this is a big job. He said, this job is way bigger than I am. It's way bigger than my capabilities. In fact, that's, he starts going down through this laundry list of why he is not good enough for this task. He lacks the confidence or the boldness to do it. He says, who am I? God, I mean, uh, whose authority am I going to go on? I'm not royalty. I forsook all of that. He said, I can't stand before them. When I go and, and I don't come in my authority, who do I tell them sent me? And then if I tell them a bush sent me, they're not even going to believe me. I mean, because the crazy dude talking to the bush, right? He said, Lord, even if, even if they believed all of that, I just stumble all over my words. You know, the Pharaoh... And, and I mean, they didn't have Netflix back then. They weren't being entertained in that way. But the way that kings and royalty would be entertained is that all of the, all of the great wisdoms of the world and the entertainers of the world, they would come into their courts and they would present the new marvels and they would hear the great speeches and the, and the poets and the bards and things like that. And he said, I'm not a person who is eloquent. I, I can't keep his attention. I'm, I can't make these persuasive arguments. It's not me. And then he gets down to finally what he's wanting to say. He said, Lord, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just not capable of this. Surely there's somebody better than me. You know, I, I'll tell you, our confidence, our boldness will fail us if we are focused on what we bring to the table. Because you know what? Whenever it comes to the task that God has set before you and me, we're this small. Just like Moses felt. In no way was Moses able to do this on his own, but you remember what God did every time that he brought up how insignificant he was and how incapable he was. 
God reminded him about what would make him able to do that. When he said, who am I? He said, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters that I am. Because God is all that matters. He is, he is everything. It doesn't matter that you're not powerful and that you have no status. He says, I am everything. And that king has nothing to stand before me. He said, it doesn't matter if they won't believe you because I'm going to give you these signs. And they, they can't help but believe you. You remember when he told him, stick your hand in it? I mean, first, I guess he gave him the stick. He told him, throw the stick on the ground, it becomes a snake. I mean, I'm pretty convinced right there, but God didn't think he was convinced. He said, pick that snake up and now take your clean, you know, healthy hand, stick it inside of your robe. And, and then he pulled it out and it was leprous. I mean, deadly disease, no cure. Losing everything in life before you die, too. Not going to be very fun. God says, stick your hand back in. And, and he shows him that he has the power to do incredible things. Not just the things that, that the Pharaoh's magicians would be able to do, but things that no other man could do. And then he says, you, I know you may feel like you don't have the words, but, but I'll give you the words. And hasn't he always been telling all of his people throughout all time, don't worry about what you'll say, I'll give it to you. To you and I, to the apostles, to everyone, he'll give us the words. At the end of the day, you and I are not capable to go out into this world and to convert them to the gospel on our own. I don't, I don't have a good enough PowerPoint. I don't have a good enough study technique. I am not intellectually smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not any of those things. And, and brothers and sisters, neither are you. But we can be bold as we go do it. And we should be bold because God can make us capable. And that's why Moses had to see that it wasn't about self-confidence, that his boldness and his confidence that he could do this task was all his ability to trust that God would be with him. Do you believe that God will be with you? You can be bold if you believe that. A man who I look at as a very bold person, we're going to talk about him a handful of times throughout this study, 2 Corinthians verse 3, Paul says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able minister of the New Testament, not the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So many times I look at bold people, and, and I think, man, I wish I could just talk like them and walk like them and be like them and have the confidence like them. And, and here's one of these confident guys who we see, you know, I mean, did he have problems talking to anybody? I mean, he doesn't seem like a guy who would know a stranger. But he would walk through fire to tell somebody about the truth. He would take a stoning to tell somebody about the truth. He would take a beating or a shipwreck or anything to tell somebody the truth. And this guy who we might see as naturally bold or you know, confident, he's saying, I'm just not capable on my own. God makes me sufficient. Sometimes when I use the word sufficient, it's that I've been doing a job for way longer than I wanted to be doing that job, maybe like a, you know, a honeydew thing you know, at home, and I am tired of fiddling with it, and it's not perfect, but I say, it's sufficient, I'm done. <laughs> It's not perfect, but it's good enough. And that's not what he's talking about here. Whenever he says he'll make me sufficient, it means that where you and I may only be able to put a drop in the bottom of the cup and the talent levels or abilities, God just, he comes in and he fills our cup all the way up with ability. What he says here, he said that he'll make me an able minister of the New Testament. I believe that he'll do that for you and for you and for me, for all of us, that we can be bold and we can be confident because he will make us sufficient. 
you'll be able to go out and do this task of taking the gospel to the world that it seems so often doesn't want it. This verse, it's used a lot, misused a lot. Philippians 4 verse 13 said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'll tell you whenever I was a kid and we gathered around in our huddle before the games, the coach, he would sit there and he'd go, listen, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And we'd go, yeah! And we'd jump up and we'd high-five one another and we'd be excited and we'd go play football. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and, and, and not that that wasn't a, a good sentiment or a good thing to say, and a good thing, to, a spiritual thing to program into somebody's mind, but I don't think that this limb is a very small one where I say, I don't think God cares about our football games. He doesn't care about our basketball games. You know what He cares about strengthening us in? He cares about strengthening us whenever we're, whenever we're down because we feel like nobody wants the gospel anymore that He will be there to strengthen us and, and help us to overcome when we're facing our own struggles and turmoils to get over ourselves and our own problems. He is there to strengthen us whenever we're just we're scared to stand up and say what needs to be said when it needs to be said. He'll be there to strengthen you. We can go to Him. and I mean, think that's what Jesus did. The Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us at His most, at his most trying moment as a human, so it would seem, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he fell to his knees and he prayed to his God, to his Father, and he said, strengthen me. Help me get through this. And I believe that that same Jesus will be doing that for you and me. Waiting, listening, and hearing just like the Father was to him. You know, we can be bold because, not because I'm great, not because I'm strong, but because he is and we can lean on him. I believe that we can be bold as a lion because he is going to be there for us no matter what. We are, we're made sufficient, we're strengthened by him, and he'll give us everything that we need. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, According to his divine power hath given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to his glory and his virtue. I was watching a public service announcement a while back. I, I wasn't, like I wasn't on YouTube, you know, surfing so for all the cool public service announcement. It was just a commercial but this commercial was, was these two ladies, and they're walking through a park, middle-aged women. They seem to be friends. They're laughing, and they're, they're having a good time. And, and then at a point in the commercial, they, it, they just get quiet a minute. No one says anything. And finally, one stops and turns to her friend, and she said, I think my daughter's experimenting with drugs. And there's this long, awkward pause. And uh, I mean, because... What do you say in a moment like that, right? What do you say in a moment like that? And her friend looks back at her and she says, I'm sure it's just a phase and pats her on the back and they keep walking in silence and fades to black and some service group is telling you that they're there for you because your friends don't have the answers. I'll tell you in life, we face incredible challenges and especially the incredible challenges of other people with the traumas or the hardships that they're going through. And there are times where a situation might stop you dead in your tracks to where you'll sit there and go, what do you, what do you, what do you say here? And, and I'll tell you, we spend a lot of our life living in fear that someone is going to present us with one of those situations that we don't know what to say right off the bat. And I'll tell you, I'm not going to tell you that, that we will handle everything with ease and that there is, there is not going to be anything that will that will never shock you in this life. You're going to face situations like that where hard questions, heartbreaking situations, uh, they're, they're laid at your feet and you're going to go, how do I handle this? But we can be bold to, 
to tell them we'll find a solution, not because we have all the answers to life or that we're so wise, but because God has written all the answers down. There's a lot of people who put life and religion into these different boxes. These different boxes, and they think, well, I'll go for my solutions for my job, you know, and in all my struggles with my job to, to the secular world, and I'll go with, with some of these questions of life of education in the secular world, or, or this or that, and I'll go somewhere else, but I'll go to church if I need, you know, a question with, with something like fornication or something like that, or, or cursing. We talked about that a little bit last night. But the truth is, the answers for everything is right there in the scriptures. So that we don't have to be these people who are stumped. Maybe for a moment, yeah. Maybe for a little bit it takes us back. Absolutely, probably going to happen. But we can find the answers together. You are the people, brothers and sisters, that have been ordained by God, this royal priesthood who has been called out of darkness into this glorious light to show His praises. And do we show His praises by helping them with Jesus, by helping them with His solutions. You know what? We can be bold people, even if you're not naturally that way, because He's going to give us everything that we need. Every tool, every, every doctrine, every strengthening agent, every amount of grace that we need, it's there. That's why we can be bold. So why are we not? If the righteous are bold as lions, and if God will give us everything that we need to be bold, why are we not? And we could go, on a li- we could go down this laundry list of different things and reasons why we wouldn't, but I'm going to take just a few this morning of reasons why you and I pr- possibly are not as bold as we should be, and I believe we should be, for Christ. First of all, I believe that we have to be committed to the gospel. We have to be committed to a mission, and I mean really committed, because without commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're just we're not going to be as, as valiant or as courageous with it. Think about the situation of Peter. Peter, another guy we'd see as a bold person, he makes a bold statement as he's told by Jesus that he would deny him several times. In Luke 22, starting in verse 31, he says to, uh, he says to, to Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he will sift you as wheat. And he said, but I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And so Jesus said, look, you're fixing to go through a hard time in your life. And, and, and I've been praying for you. And then he says something that's very curious. He said, I, I'm praying that when you're converted, that you'll strengthen your brother. What do you mean when he's converted? He's been walking with Jesus for years at this point. He's one of the first people that we read have been following Jesus. And, and, and he's doing the same thing I'm doing right now. Going, what do you mean converted? I'm all in. I'm all in, Jesus. I'm all in. Verse 33 says that Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you. I'm going to go to prison or to death. I'm ready to die, man. What are you talking about? Converted. I'm all in. I don't think he was lying. I don't think he was mistaken. I'll be honest with you. A lot of times we talk about, well, he wasn't quite so committed, was he? I think he was very committed to this idea that he'd go to prison and he'd go to death for Jesus. I just think that his commitment was to a different fight than what Jesus had in mind. And that's what he didn't realize yet. Because you remember in the garden after he fell asleep a couple times while Jesus was praying to God that, that Jesus goes and he wakes him up and he said, it's time. And you remember the Judas, he comes in and he walks up with this, with this group of people who've come to capture Jesus and he, he says, Hail Master, and he kisses him on the cheek. And they lay their hands on Jesus. And Peter doesn't turn tail and run. You know what Peter did? Whipped the sword out. That was my sword noise. 
But he whips the sword out. And he takes that sword and he just reaches out and he slices off the ear. I don't know, maybe it's that way. I've heard different things. I don't care. Whichever way, he sliced the dude's ear off. I think he was ready to go to prison to go to death. If it was about him fighting him with the, with the sword or the spear and if him going down you know, with blood on the blade, he's ready to roll. He had all the confidence and the boldness of the world to fight that fight. When did his confidence fail him? It's when Jesus said, put that sword away. You live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And he picks up the ear and, and he puts it back on his enemy's head and heals him up. And imagine Peter being at a loss there when he goes, I don't understand then. What am I supposed to do then? He still was not completely converted to the idea of what that battle was, that battle for the, the hearts and the minds of mankind. Uh, several days later, you remember that Jesus, or Jesus is put to death, and then several days later he arises from the grave, just like he told them he would, and people come, the women come from the grave, and they tell Peter and all the, uh, the other disciples, he's arisen, the grave is empty, he's arisen. And Peter goes, I don't know about that. And he goes over to the grave, and he looks, and, and there's the grave clothes all folded up, and Peter he marveled and he said I don't know I know he said it I don't know maybe I'll just go fishing and so that's what he did and when he went fishing he dragged along some of his brethren with him right back into that that other career that he had once had and that's where Jesus finds him after his resurrection and I'll skip part of that scene there, but Jesus walks up and he tells him to come and eat a meal. It sounds like Jesus has prepared a meal of fish for him there, so he's cooked for him. And it said they're sitting around a campfire for this meal. Sounds like the most awkward meal ever. He says, so when they dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? This is after they sat there and, and they didn't dare ask him who he was, even though they knew it was the Lord. They just sat there in silence until Jesus, he says, do you love me more than these? Now, I've heard all kinds of theories about what these are here. But I'll tell you that I believe he is looking at that meal that they're eating that had just been pulled from the nets of those fishermen, Peter himself. And he said, do you love me more than fish? And Peter's going, yeah, I do. I love you more than fish. I'm all in. And so Jesus turns his mind back, if you would, in the following phrases to just what he had told him to be committed to before he died. When you are converted, strengthen your brethren. And three times he said, do you love me more than these? And, and, and the next time he'd say, you know I love you. And he'd said, then feed my lambs. And then he'd say, well, do you love me more than these? And he said, well, of course I do. And he said, well, feed my sheep. And then he said, well, do you love me? And, and Peter's getting worn out. He said, of course I do. I love you more than these fish. Believe me, I love you more. And Jesus saying, then, then commit. You commit to the job that I gave you. Commit to strengthening your brethren. Commit to this mission of this, of this message that I started teaching you about. Commit right now. Because that is the most important thing in your life. It's not a battle of flesh and bones. It's not a battle of the sword and shield. It's not about how strong you are physically. It's about your resilience to stay strong in the faith. That whenever your brother needs you, you're right there with them. That whenever the world needs you to tell them about morality and about salvation and about eternity, you're right there. Commit to that. And for you and I, when we're not committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
And we will not be as bold as we ought to. We'll go fishing. We'll go, we'll go do whatever. We'll go do something else. We'll go to work. We'll go play. We'll, we'll sink back whenever something could be said because we're just not as committed as we ought to. And Peter, he committed. At that point, Peter, he's all in now. He realizes what the mission is and he's ready to go and he stands up there on the day of Pentecost with all of his brethren and he preaches that first public gospel lesson, doesn't he? And he talks about Jesus and he talks about eternity and he talks about judgment. And people, the people were changed because someone was bold enough to stick with Jesus and say what needed to be said even whenever it may not be the popular thing or the easy thing. How committed are you to the gospel? I believe these people were committed to the gospel because they knew what was at stake. How often do we think about that? In Ephesians 6 and verse 20, he says, For me, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 through 11, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done to the body according to the done, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also made manifest in your consciences. And, and here is Paul talking to the Corinthians. He said, listen, I, I, I try diligently to persuade people every day. Not because it makes me feel good, not because I get the rush or the high. Not because everybody thinks that me, Paul, am a fine Christian man. But because I know how terrible hell is going to be. Maybe we're just not committed. We, we think we're committed to the idea of heaven. But how committed are we to the idea of hell? That's not the fun aspect of eternity to talk about. Uh, Jesus talked about it as much or more as anyone else in the scriptures. You go out in the world, there's a lot of people who don't believe in hell. A lot of people. A lot of the religious world that don't believe in hell. And you and I, we sit back and go, well, how could you not believe in that? I mean, Jesus talked about apostles. It's all over the Bible. How could you not believe in hell? Well, the question I think we really need to ask ourselves is just how much do I really, really believe in hell? How much do I really believe that hell is a terrible place? And that the pain and, and the, the darkness and the, and the awfulness of that place is beyond anything that we can imagine. And I try, I really do, brother and sister, I try wrapping my mind just around, around just how bad it's going to be. And I don't know if I'm successful. I don't think that I am. I, I know that I'm not because if I really could wrap my mind around enough and I was really terrified of it enough, I probably wouldn't do some of the bad things that I end up doing sometimes. I think if I really could wrap my mind around it and believed it enough that hell is a terrible place and that my loved ones are going to go there someday if they don't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, if they don't receive His mercy. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? That something terrible is going to happen to, your, to my sweet kids, to my wife, to my mom and to my dad, to my sweet grandparents, to my friends and my, my family. Do I really believe that there is a place that they could go that is awful? Because I'll tell you the things I really about, I worry about with them, I warn them about it. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. It's hot. Some kid's about to fall in the pool. We'll come running out full clothes, iPhone in hand, and we'll dive in to grab them. Whatever it takes, we, we will do what it takes. Our neighbors down the road, the, the tornado's coming, and we know that they're out of cell signal. You know, people, they'll run off down the road risking themselves to warn them. There are times I am driving across the country, and my mother-in-law will call me and say, have you looked at the radar? It's bad. You know why? Because when you care about people and something terrible might happen, 
You don't care about what you look like. You don't care about what you sound like. You don't care what they think or if it might affect your relationship. You want to warn them because you know something terrible could happen if you don't. And if we really believed in the terror of the Lord, like the apostles did, like Peter finally did, we'll, we'll be bold. We'll be bold. We'll, we'll stop worrying about... We'll stop worrying about... I don't know. I don't guess we'll stop worrying about, but we'll be willing to risk there being one less person at Christmas dinner because we were willing to stand up and, and try to show them how much we actually love them and care about their soul. We'll be willing to risk the promotion. We'll be willing to risk the grade, whatever it is. We'll be willing to put more on the line because we truly think about and know the terror of the Lord and how awful it will be for our loved ones to have to go face that. You know what? We, we don't want people to face that. We're not terrible, mean, awful people who want people to go face judgment and be able to tell them you're wrong and we're right. We're supposed to the people who love one another enough and love our fellow man enough that we're willing to, to tell them what they need to hear regardless of the consequence. I want you to know this morning, I'm not talking about being dogmatic. When I say bold and when I say confident, I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about being argumentative. I'm not talking about being calloused. As Christians, we're never given a license to talk without grace or without our speech seasoned with salt. We're talking about saying and doing what needs to be done when it needs to be said and done. Even the boldest of people, they need help doing this. The Apostle Paul who wrote this wrote, wrote this is a request for prayers here in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, pray for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is Paul's prayer. I mean, this is a dude who didn't do anything halfway. Wasn't afraid. If he thought it was right, I mean, he was after it. He thought it was right to go kill Christians, throw them into prison, and he did it because he was a confident man. And now, as he is this confident man is teaching the gospel, he said, listen, you've got to pray for me. Please pray for me. And brothers and sisters, we need to pray for one another. It won't be the last time I say that this morning. But we need to be praying for one another that we will be bold. And notice what he says, to speak as we ought to speak. Ought. That's a word we don't think about often. We use it often, but we don't think about that word often. Ought ends up being like and, and, and if and thus sometimes, that we don't give it a lot of thought. But the word ought is a powerful one. It means there's an expectation. And Paul's not talking about any person's expectation for him. He's talking about God's expectation for him. And he said, there is a way that I ought to speak. And he said, it ought to be boldly. So pray for me. Brothers and sisters, you want to be more bold? I want to be more bold too. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. Pray for each other. Even if you're the most bold person out there, the confident in the Lord and what He can do, I guarantee you, you need those prayers and they feel good. I'll tell you, it is good to know whenever you have brothers and sisters behind you praying for you, thinking about you, knowing when you're about to go into a tough situation. If you're going to have to go have a talk or you want to go have a talk with somebody about their salvation or a trouble in life, you know what? Call somebody in here. Call one of your shepherds. Call a deacon. Call, call one of their wives. Call a friend here. Call someone and say, I'm about to go do something that it's going to be hard. Would you just pray with me for a minute? 
Maybe if we seek those prayers, it'll give us that strength to say what we need to say, to say what people need us to say. Maybe you haven't bought into the mission as much as you need to. Buy into the gospel. Buy in all the way to salvation. Commit. And do whatever it is you need to do to be more bold. Maybe it's not because uh, we're not bought into the gospel. Maybe it's because they, we lack a little bit of morality. Or maybe not because we're immoral people, but we lack the desire to stand up for morality. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but maybe we need to commit to a higher standard of morality. First Timothy 3 and verse 15, Paul said, If I'm taking a long time writing this letter, if I tarry long, as that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And so, I mean, he said, Look, if I'm long-winded or long-pinned in this letter, it's because I just want you to know how you need to act. Because you're the church. You're the pillar and the ground of truth. A pillar and a ground of truth means you're the foundational element. You're, you're this, I think of the columns on, on a big plantation. You know, some of the plantations south, they've been standing for a long time. I've seen a couple buildings you know, towards the TCU campus, they had those big columns on them. And I don't know if those ones are load-bearing. I assume they are. But a column is something that carries a heavy weight. But it doesn't move. It stands resolutely. And you know that that, you know that, that column, what it stands for, it, it's immovable. It's unshakable. It's going to stay there. It may stay there a long time. And, and whenever folks look at you and me in the church, we talked about this a long time last night, so I'm not going to go in-depth on it. They need to know what the standard of God's morality is. Not your standard and not my standard, because my standard falls far short. Falls far short. Those L's and R's, you know, they're difficult. But uh, what we need to be able to do is to be able to show what God's morality is. Whenever they look at you, well, they say, that's what a Christian is. That's what a Christian does. When they look at you as they're struggling to find their way, can they say, that's how they are? I, I want to know you older brothers and sisters in the church, can the younger generation look at you and look at your marriage and your home and your parenting and say, I need to do that type of thing because I see the results of what it produces. For those of us who are, are muddling our way through and struggling, we need those examples of people who are unwavering and, and, and who maybe make, well, will make the mistakes, but we watch the way that they fix them and work through them. We need that. The world definitely needs that. I mentioned a saying the other night that uh, I, I think is a good one. Like I said, a good statement. I'm not bashing it. Uh, once again, but it's you may be the only Bible that the world ever reads. And we talked about making sure that the world isn't the only Bible that we ever read. But brothers and sisters, uh, we use that sometimes as a solace for ourselves, As a comforter to tell us, well, I don't really have to be bold and vocal about what's right. As long as I just keep my head down and I do the right thing. As long as I sneak my way through life and no one watches the way that I'm living, no one sees me, everything's going to be okay. And I don't know, I don't know how true that is. And maybe you don't consciously think it about it that way, but maybe you build these, these barriers to protect yourself from the, the ridicule and the hurt of the world. And so you live a more quiet life. And again, I'm not talking about being the boisterous, uh, you know, the boisterous loud-mouthed, dogmatic person. I'm just talking about contending for what's right. Can I really walk through life with my head down, hoping that no one notices that I'm doing the right thing and argues with me? Or, or should I be contending? Proverbs 28, verse 4, he said, They that forsake the law praise the wicked. Boy, don't they ever. 
that's the world we live in. If you're doing the wrong thing today, it's going to be praised. You're going to win man or woman of the year. You're going to be on Time Magazine. You're going to grace athletic covers. You're going to get, you know, ESPYs. You're going to get all these different awards and accolades and praise from the world for doing the wrong thing, not doing what's right in the sight of God. And what they'll start doing is they'll start talking bad about everyone else in the world. Well, it's scary. It's scary as a Christian to go, you know, I don't, you know, no. No, I can't. I can't agree with that. Not because of me, but, but here's why. Here's a different way. He, he said the people who, are, who forsake the law, of course they're going to contend. And they seem to be the loudest voices. Sometimes they seem to be the only voices in the world we live in. He said, but such as keep the law, they contend with them. Now, we're told that we can't strive, we shouldn't fight, we're not arguers, none of those type of things. This contention, though, is that we stand up and we put up some type of fight. I'll tell you, it's in the way that we live. It, can, it may be simply in the way that you answer a question, that you're willing to answer a question. And I remember so many times in, in watching some of the older men and watching myself as people would ask me questions about the church where I went to. And I'm just going to use this as a for instance. And they'd ask me questions like, oh, you're the, you're the people over there who don't, uh, y'all don't, don't have, y'all don't believe in music. You know, I'm like, oh, no, no, we, you know, we don't have instruments, you know. We don't do that kind of thing. And they'd be like, oh, you're the, you're the people over there down the road that, uh, you know, you don't have any programs. Y'all don't do anything. And No, you, you know, we don't. We don't do anything. Um, we don't have programs. You're the people who don't have ministers. And, and I watched how sometimes ashamedly we'd, we'd sit there and we'd make excuses and, and whatever instead of just whenever people, and I'll be honest, nowadays I look at it, and maybe you were always doing it the right way and I was the one who was just so scared and timid, but you know, look, we got something that a lot of other people don't have nowadays. We do believe in music. And we love music. I mean, how could you not sing the way that we heard singing this morning and not love music and praising God? It's not about what we love or we don't like. It's about the way that we do it. No, we love music. We love to sing. Come join us. You ought to hear the way the congregation sings. You ought to watch, you ought to watch the rows of little kids and the way they pour their heart out. Come, come join us for that. Oh, you know, you know, we don't have programs like some of these things that you might see, but, but you, there's plenty of things to do. What do you want to do? You want to get involved with a Bible study in your house and somebody else's house? We got it going on. You pick your poison. We've got it going. What do you want? To, you want to go knock a door? I bet somebody will go do that with you. You want to go do something that is that is uh, benevolent for your community? We got things going. We need to be able to stand up and talk about what we are doing and who we are and why we are. Why do you live that way? Why are you not running your wife down, man? Why are you not making all these ball and chain jokes? You know why? Because that's a precious ruby in my life. God's blessed me. Why are you not talking down about your husband? Well, I mean, he's a good man. I mean, that's not the world, but we should stand up. And the way that we live, it can speak so loudly. It's not one that we should bow our heads and feel ashamed of. It's one where we can thank our God that he's given us something so great. We can thank our God that he's given us direction that yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness in our life. We can thank them that we weren't a people, but we now are. And people need that. You can be bold while you're moral. You can be bold because I'll tell you the morality that we live, if we live it, it's something that's only going to benefit others. Don't hide it. 
we could go on and on, whole long list. All the different things that might hinder us from, from being as bold or confident as we need to be, but if we were to boil it all down in one, maybe I could have just started with this one and not done anything else today. Uh, at the end of the day, I think if we are to boil all of our fears down to one thing as to why we're not bold, it's probably men. We're just we're scared of men. There were a lot of people who watched the things that Jesus did, and not only were they amazed, but they believed but they wouldn't change because of fear of men. John chapter 7 and verse 13, he said, How be it, no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. People believed, people watched, people knew, but they wouldn't get up and talk and they wouldn't follow. Why? Because they were afraid of men. I was telling one of the brothers this morning, I said, it's, it's one every, they say one excuse is good as another, and, and I find myself probably too often, someone say, why didn't you do that? Ellen specifically, why didn't you do that? And I'll say, for fear of the Jews. You know, an excuse. <laughs> But at the end of the day, there's a reason why we're not as bold as we ought to be. Because we're afraid of people. We're afraid of what they might do to us, what they could do to us, what, what's going to happen to our relationships. I think sometimes those fears are different depending on the relationship and who they are and what they are. It's not always the same type of fear. Sometimes it's the fear of, of losing you know, a relationship with a loved one if we you know, go too far. Don't want to push them away. Sometimes it's the fear that someone might throw us in prison, and that's, that may be a different end of the pendulum. But brothers and sisters, we don't have to be scared of man. We don't have to be timid because of mankind. I mean, look, he, is, he has made us powerful people, not because of what we are, but what, we, what he is. In Philippians 1, verse 12, he said, I would that you would understand, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident in my, my bonds are much more bold to speak without the word or speak the word without fear. I've had this conversation or a part of this conversation for years now with people and thought about it over and over in my mind as we've watched some of religion come under attack or Christianity come under attack. And and people are asked the question, well, what are we going to do? What, what are we going to do if they start throwing us into jail? Or what are they going to do if they outlaw us from, outlaws and, and, and prohibit us from teaching the truth? And I'll tell you this, they can't stop you from teaching the truth. They, they just can't. There's no way. We watch with the apostles. They, they couldn't stop them. They may kill them. They may hurt them. But I'll, I'll tell you, their testimony still speaks. No one can stop you. You're the only one that can stop you. This is, this is a, a really strange passage in a sense where, where he said, I, I want you to know that this is, a, this is a good thing. I want you to understand that whenever they threw me in a prison, it's not such a bad gig. I don't know if he's talking about the physical aspects of it so much, but he's saying, I want you to see what happened. Whenever they did throw me in the prison, he said, the gospel flourished. The gospel flourished. He said, in fact, other people, they were made more bold. What's going to happen if they throw me in jail? I don't know. I don't know what will happen for you. What's going to happen if they throw you in jail? Maybe it's a blessing. We don't see that as a blessing. And I am not advocating that you and I go out there and do something wild so we get ourselves thrown into prison. But if all of the what-ifs come true, and if they throw you or I into prison, and if you persevere like, like he did here, and if you keep teaching and no one can shut you up and you still have a good attitude and you still preach the gospel and do good things, you know what it might do for you and for the other people who are outside? It might make us sit back and instead of going, oh no, 
oh no, what are we going to do? It might make us go, look at, look at Brother Matt. He's in prison and he's, he's still talking. He's okay. He's still teaching the Gospel. You know what? If he can go through that and, and if he can still keep preaching and not lose hope and not lose his boldness, I can keep doing it out here. And that's what happened. You know what? Maybe we would be more bold people. Instead of sitting around worrying all the time about the what ifs, if they try to take this freedom or that freedom away from us, let's just think about the freedom that we have to preach right now. And if something happens to one of us, let's pray for those people and let's pray for each and every person in this room and the church all over the world that we will be even more bold to go give this gospel to other people in the world. We, but we need each other. And I'll tell you, what we, and, and the idea in this, he's trying to strengthen them with his example and strengthen them with the bond that they had and strengthen them by saying, hey, look, it's not the end of the world. Good things are happening and will still continue to happen. And, and we need each other. Maybe we're not as bold because we're not strengthening each other and preparing one another like we ought to. In Hebrews 10, verse 24 through 25, he said, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. And, and this passage, I believe, is about so much more than, than coming here on Sunday morning. He said, Don't forsake opportunities to join with one another. Why? Because uh, I need you. I, I need my local congregation. You need each other. We need each other. Because every week when we go out into the world, and if you are bold like you need to be, you're going to face resistance. You might, you might face some callous people. You might face some tough situations. You might face the hard questions. And it is hard to keep going day after day after day. Look at all the great men through the Bible. These great men of faith. Great men and women and some of the hardships they went through. Jeremiah at one point, he said, look, I'm done. Jeremiah 20 said, I'm done. I'm not even going to mention the name of God anymore. I'm tired of this. But he couldn't keep that commitment. Thank goodness. And he kept preaching. You look at guys like Elijah. Elijah went and sat down under a, a cedar tree and he said, just kill me because I'm worthless. I can't change anybody. It is hard. To just keep going and to keep being motivated to keep beating our head against the wall sometimes so it would seem. And you know what? We need a soft landing. We need the shoulders to lean on. We need someone else to be right there and go, you did the right thing. Sometimes I need someone to say, you know what? You could have said more. And motivate me to say a little bit more. Sometimes we need the person that we just don't say anything, but we just cry and then we pray. We need each other to just keep pushing one another to be more bold, to stand up and say and do what needs to be done. And, and I'll tell you this, you will not be as bold as you ought to be if you're not spending enough time with the saints. I just don't think it can be done. Elijah felt so alone. I'm the only one left that hasn't bowed a knee, Lord. And I'll tell you, that comes along with so many other problems. And he had to be reminded, you know what, there's still 7,000 out there. And I'll tell you, you got brothers and sisters and, and mothers and fathers and grandparents and children all over this world who are willing to be there for you, to comfort you, to lift you up, to, to help give you that extra, you know, let's get up and go. Whatever it is you need, you can find that. And that will be a motivation and a strength to you to say, I can keep going another day. 
I can keep being bold like I need to be. Commit to strengthening one another so that we can be bold. 2 Timothy verses one, uh, chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. He says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. That's the strangest invitation that I've ever seen. You know, most of the invitations I get are to like anniversary partings and uh, birthdays and, you know, to weddings and, and things like that. That's the invitations I normally get. Well, here's an invitation to join Paul to be a partaker in afflictions. He said, come on. Join me. It's going to be good <laughs> to be afflicted. Oh, we, don't, we don't tell people, come on, let's go get hurt very often. He said, let's go do it. It's going to be good. Be a part of the afflictions because we're a part of the afflictions of, of preaching the gospel, of the persecutions Jesus promised would happen to people who would forsake all for him and for his gospel. And he said, it starts here. He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. I'll tell you where I was really thinking about this a couple years ago. And I probably used this story before in a, in a sermon, but, but I'll tell you, I really was thinking about it. Me and a couple other guys that were coming back from a work out west, and we were flying over the Grand Canyon in a Southwest Airlines plane. And as I was looking out of the Grand Canyon, we hit turbulence, and the plane started acting like a crow. And I was pretty nervous. And I was sitting in my seat trying to not look like a sissy going, he's not given a spirit of fear. He's not given a spirit of fear. And the more I got to thinking about that verse, though, and, and while it did bring me some comfort in that situation, the more I thought about it in the sense of being bold, I'll tell you that there is, there's so much in this. Because for you and I, whenever we're not bold like we ought to be, then we're embracing that spirit of fear that he said he's not given us. It's not that we won't be afraid at any moment, but he has given us a spirit where we can overcome our fears and we can do. Whenever we are afraid and whenever we are not as bold as we ought to, it's because we forget the power endued with. Not because you're strong and not because you're wise and not because you're the greatest ever that has ever walked the planet and held a Bible in your hand, but because of the power that we hold because of Jesus and his word. And that whenever we look at, at the situations in life that seem, that seem insurmountable and people's sin seems, how could they ever overcome these addictions or these problems or, or fix relationships again? How could they ever come to Jesus? We forget that we have a powerful message. The Word of God, it is quick. It's alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. God's Word changes lives every day. I believe it. Don't you? I've watched it change mine. I've watched it change friends. I've watched it change families all the time. The people that folks would say, don't go see them. They're a lost cause. They've been a drunk forever and a day, and they're, they're folks before them. I've seen those people change. I've watched the, the older evangelists go in time and time again, year after year, into the same congregations that seem to be struggling and dying and, and talk to the same people who wouldn't come back to church and, and think, I don't know what good that's doing. And years later... To watch fruit spring out of that seed that God has provided the increase in. God is powerful. You have a powerful message. Don't be afraid to go talk to somebody. Whatever arguments they have, whatever, whatever concerns that they have, whatever stance that they take, whatever belief they have, know that you have the position of power because you have the Word of God. Go in power and be bold, brothers and sisters. Go in love. We don't have to be afraid because we have love on our side. Sometimes it doesn't feel loving for someone to pull me aside and say, Lee, you've got to straighten up. doesn't feel good. And it's happened. It's happened a lot, you know. You know, still happens every now and then with my wife. But, <clears throat> you know, someone needs to pull you aside every now and then. 
And out of love and in love, I'm not, I, look, look, you're going to encounter the people every now and then that they won't do this in the right way. They won't correct you in the right way. And they're, they're going to be unkind. They're going to be unloving. They're going to be arrogant. They'll, they might even be hypocrites. That doesn't have to be you. Now, you might be accused of being all those things or acting that way, but let that be a lie. It is loving to warn someone about sin. It is loving to warn them about hell. It is loving to talk to them about life-changing uh, actions that will lead them to Christ and to a closer relationship with God and to better relationships with other people in this world. Or, or to all That's loving. And while the world says, don't tell me, don't, don't you judge me, don't you tell me that i got to change, love them enough to tell them anyways. Put it all on the line because of love. Because he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of, of power and of love and of a sound mind. Obviously, on that plane, I didn't have as much of a sound mind. That's not the only moment in my life, if, believe it or not, where, where I haven't been as, as much of a sound mind as I ought to be. There's been times when, you know, I've been running from dogs, you know, and things like that. Not a real sound mind in those moments. Um, but I'll tell you the ones that this really brings to my mind is the times where I am facing a difficult problem with someone's spirituality. And where I have time to think about that and the game plan, that's what I call it, game planning. You know, when I'm thinking about their problem and about what is the best way to help them help themselves. And I start going through my mind the night before if I've got to wait till the next day going through all the different things that could go wrong, that might go wrong. And I think, well, I'll come in right off the bat. You know what, I'll just lead with this scripture here and I'll say this. Well, but, but what, if they, what if they then say this? Well, I'll come back and I'll say this. Well, but what if they say this to that? And then what if they do this? And, 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 what, if, and what if they're angry with me? And what if they kick me out? And what if this? And what if that? And I go, I'm telling you, this is the way my little squirrel mind works that I'm running all over the place with all the things going on. And by the time I walk up to that door and, and I knock on that door, I am twisted all in the knots in my gut. That's not a sound mind. Does that mean that I'm never going to worry when I have a conversation? No. Sometimes conversations are difficult. But he said, just, just have peace in your mind. You know what? At the end of the day, you and I have to trust is we're not the one who changes hearts and minds. All we are is, is somebody with a bag of seeds and we're throwing it. We're just seed throwers. And God gives the increase. God changes hearts. If you take the Word of God with you and if you take love... Try not to worry about how it may end up. Try to be confident that God can and will give an increase. Even if it doesn't happen that day, maybe someday. Go with a sound mind. Go boldly. Because He's not given you a spirit of fear. God has not ordained to Himself a bunch of scaredy cats. He's not ordained mice. Brothers and sisters, God has ordained lions. When you worry about who am I and, and am I enough and I'm not eloquent enough and whenever you think of all the reasons why you can't or you shouldn't or you're not, you're just not the person for the job. I want you to think about who you are. Brothers and sisters, you are the sons and daughters of Abraham. You are the army of the Lord God of Israel. You are the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. You are lions, brothers and sisters. 
That's what He's ordained you to be. That's what He's ordained me to be. That's who you are and people need you to be that bold and courageous lion for their soul, for their sake, for their eternity. You don't have, if you're bold for no other reason, be bold for this reason. In Psalms 56 and verse 11, he says, I have put my trust in God. In God, I have put my trust. I won't be afraid of what man can do to me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render thy praise. If for no other reason, remember the commitments that you've made to your God and just trust him. Amen. Just trust him. No matter what happens in this life, just trust Him that He will get you through, that He can give you the words. He'll give you the, the, the environment around you to succeed. He will take care of you, and you'll take care of others if you'll just plant that seed. Just plant it. If for no other reason, just trust in Him. Brothers and sisters, if for no other reason that you choose to be bold and strive to be more committed to boldness, do it for eternity. In Philippians 1 and verse 19, he says, For I know that this shall turn into my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I will be ashamed. But that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me live is Christ, and to die is gain. I mean, the dude was ready. He said, I'm ready to roll. I, I don't know, sometimes I might say that, that hey, if I die, I die. But what, you know, he believed it. He said, if I, live, if I die right now, hey, Jesus is waiting. Jesus awaiting, it's nothing but gain. But, uh, but if I live now, he said, I'll just keep serving. I'll keep being bold like I ought to be because I expect. I expect that whenever I'm done with this life, if I have, if I have been that righteous person who was bold as a lion, who spoke as I ought to speak, as I've warned because I know the terror of the Lord, if, I've, if I have fought down the fears and if I fought down the chaos and I fought down the worries and I've just tried to serve people with this gospel at the end of the day, I earnestly expect. It wasn't going, maybe. Maybe he'll, you know, maybe he'll reward me. He's going, I earnestly expect it. It's going to happen. Have confidence in that. You serve a God who keeps his promises. And he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, I am with you to the end of the world. Amen. Brothers and sisters, expect heaven and be bold now. This morning, if you haven't started your walk with Jesus, I'll tell you that boldly he came to this life. And he preached a message that the world needed to hear. And he laid down a sacrifice that people need to receive. And if you haven't received that sacrifice that Jesus boldly gave, he wants to forgive you of your sins and offer you this life. And if you haven't done that, and if you want to talk more about that, we'll, we'll talk with you about that after church. You just let us know. But if you're a Christian here this morning and you, and you think about the way that you have preached the gospel or reached to others and, and you feel like, I, I I need to do more. I should do more. I want to do more. And you want help to do that. Let, let us encourage you this morning. Let us do that with you this morning. But if you have a need of the church, just sit on these front seats while we sing this last song, and we'll help you to the best of our abilities.